This podcast brought to you by Hope 103.2. The Hope Book Club with Katrina Rowe and Natasha Moore. Because life's just better with a book. Welcome to The Hope Book Club with Katrina Rowe and Natasha Moore. Today we're looking at Heartburn by Noah Ephron. It's an autobiographical novel from the famous screenwriter of films like When Harry Met Sally and Sleepless in Seattle. The Museum of Modern Love by Australian author Heather Rose won the Stella Prize in 2017. It explores the famous performance art piece The Artist is Present by Marina Abramowitz. And I've been reading a thriller in the vein of The Girl on the Train. The Wife Between Us goes for a similar experience but doesn't quite live up to its more famous predecessor. Plus we'll discuss the books we've read again and again and again. But first let's hear from Heartburn by Nora Ephron. One thing I've never understood is how to work it so that when you're married, things keep happening to you. Things happen to you when you're single. You meet new men, you travel alone, you learn new tricks, you read Trollop, you try sushi, you buy nightgowns, you shave your legs. Then you get married and the hair grows in. I love the everydayness of marriage. I love figuring out what's for dinner and where to hang the pictures and do we owe the Richardsons. But life does tend to slow to a crawl. The whole summer Mark was secretly seeing Thelma Rice while pretending to be at the dentist, I was cooking. That's what I do for a living. I write cookbooks. And while I did discover a fairly revolutionary and absolutely foolproof way to make a four-minute egg and had gotten to the point where I simply could not make a bad vinaigrette, this was not exactly the stuff of drama. Even now, I cannot believe Mark would want to risk losing that vinaigrette. You just don't bump into vinaigrettes that good. That's from Heartburn, an autobiographical novel by Nora Ephron, famous for co-writing movies like When Harry Met Sally, Sleepers in Seattle, and a personal favourite of mine, You've Got Mail. The book is unashamedly based on Ephron's marriage to and divorce from Carl Bernstein, her second husband. Natasha, you have really piqued my interest in this one because I absolutely love her films. Are you a fan of her movies? Well, she actually, the other one that she wrote, which is, I think, my second favourite movie in the world, is Julie and Julia. Oh, I've seen that. About yes. Julia Child, which I just love and I watch over and over and is hilarious. And there was, and I didn't realise that actually until I was reading this novel and there's a line in it about how, you know, in a world of uncertainty, at the end of the day, you know that if you add butter to flour or something I don't know what the things are but you know that it will get thick and Mm. that this will happen there and I was like that line sounds familiar and I'm like that's from Julie and Julia and then I realized that oh of course it is she wrote wrote it (laughs) excellent and she was a food writer for a while I think Nora Ephron yeah well and so the character because the whole thing this the edition that I've read so this book is from the 80s Mm. um about the breakdown of her marriage to Carl Bernstein um and the preface kind of which is from like like 25 years later, is like, we all know this is a thinly disguised novel about mm. my, you know, she was seven months pregnant when she found out that her husband was having an affair. Carl Bernstein is the, like, Watergate guy, one of the Watergate guys. Right, so, yeah. You know, he's famous. Um, Nora Ephron is more famous to me. Yeah, same. <laughs> but um, she kind of, even the preface is hilarious of this book where she talks about how, you know, how thinly she disguised it. So she says, my second marriage actually ended exactly the way the one in Heartburn does. Shortly after I discovered that my husband was having an affair with an unbelievably tall person. 
In the book, I thinly disguised myself by making myself considerably more composed than I was at the time, and I thinly disguised my ex-husband by giving him a beard that belonged to one of my friends. The unbelievably tall person he had the affair with remained unbelievably tall. It's my experience as a novelist that some things lose everything if they are disguised, even thinly, and that therefore it's best to just leave them alone. Uh. So there are a lot of details. So she makes herself a food writer in the novel. Right. She's not actually a food maybe she's done it clearly she like the book has recipes in it and stuff she must have at least so, been a foodie I yes. think, to be so um in love with julia child and everything yeah, as well that's right. so i find it really interesting that someone who later made their name in romantic comedies you know wrote a novel about a failed love story so what do you see this what's it like really about this book well it's it's literally about like what it says it's about. It's Splitting about, up. Yeah, it's about her finding out her husband's having this affair and, you know, and also about their different friendships and about Washington political and social life and um, all these things. But the what the book is to me really mm. is it's just and it's hard to grasp how this can be, but it's one of the funniest books I've ever read in my life. I get the sense that's kind of her laughing at herself. Well, I think, and, you know, one of the things she says in this preface is that she's like, what I wanted to do was to turn this hideously tragic time in my life into comedy and that that's the great kind of achievement of the novel, that she manages to make this horrible situation very, very funny. And even while you're reading it, you're like, oh, I'm not sure how she's managing that, but she is. Mm. Like it's very charming and funny and short and every turn of phrase um, almost made me laugh. Well, I love how she writes dialogue. Sorry to keep returning to the movies, but I love how she writes dialogue. I'm such a fan of her screenwriting. Yeah, I love how she writes dialogue in her films. Um, Did you enjoy her writing in this? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. She's so clever. And the dialogue in the books is very clever as well. Mm. And just even so, like, I loved the picture of Washington social life and of social politics of all these people who are, I mean, it's all like, it's a little bit sorted, like all the people who are having affairs with each other, all the politicians and the secretaries and the undersecretaries of the Middle East. And Mm. so it just kind of weaves in the politics and the fame and the luncheons and the dinner parties and the balls and the elections and everything Mm. um, and gives you this horrible but very entertaining picture of what all these kind of slightly neurotic people are like and you know if it's I guess it's the late 70s and like everyone's in therapy and like <laughs> learning to be psychoanalytic about themselves yeah and- I, I'd love to learn more about her attitude to love because if you sort of just say okay Ephron was married three times you could easily dismiss her you know or her advice or her sense of what love is about but her third marriage actually lasted more than 20 years until her death. So she must have kind of learned something about love. What's her whole attitude to love and relationships in the book? I guess in the book it's swinging wildly all over the place. Mm. So it sounds like her first marriage was just a bit of a disaster. I think Um, that one lasted about 10 years. The second one was about four, I think. Yeah, and the second one, because she, like, really loved this guy and they actually broke up before they got married because she found out he was unfaithful. Um, And then he kind of came out and was like, no, worst mistake in my life. Like, I love you, I love you, I love you forever. Um, And she was like she let herself be persuaded mm. um, and was like, well, clearly what he learned from that is that 
he can get away with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, she kind of still loved him and kind of wanted to stay married to him but was just like, this is, I can't. Not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but from I reading guess, the novel about it, like you kind of do get it. I guess like I raised it because you could hear about a woman, she was married three times and you could assume that then she's a train wreck. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I think that the, her, her films show that she's someone who has very much uh, thought about love and mm. what real love looks like. Well, she's had a lot of experience, yeah. I guess. <laughs> and, I mean, you know, is not everybody a train wreck? And, yes, that's right. <laughs> and, you know, what? what is the rom-com if it's not the – it's the prelude. Like, Yeah, exactly. You know, you don't have marriages in rom-coms. No. Like that's the whole, you know, is that how the, the genre ran its course, is that it was kind of like, okay, well, this is all very meet-cute and lovely, but yeah. hey, what about people's real lives where they get married and then they have to deal with like figuring out what that Stuff actually like what, looks watch, like. Like arguing about what movie to watch on a Friday night. Mm. Or as she says and you've got mouth, we would never argue about that. No, we wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I have not seen that movie. You I'm need afraid. to watch Sorry. it, Natasha. Yeah. It's all about someone closing their beloved bookstore. Well, I care about the books, but it's just that the email thing will be so a Tweet, I know, quaint. but that's just adorable. <laughs> okay, I mean, okay. closing bookshops. It's, oh, it's divine. <laughs> anyway, um, so I'm a big fan of her films, as you know. Mm. Would people who enjoy her films also enjoy this book? I can't imagine anyone not enjoying this book. Okay. I'm sorry. Like you don't need to like her films to – so as in I would assume – not that I've – like I've kind of seen Sleepless in Seattle and I did see When Harry but Met when Sally. Harry Rose, but When Harry Met Sally, come on. Yeah, that sure. Is <laughs> but like I'm not a massive fan of those films but this book You're just is too young. Very You're too young. Funny. You needed to see those movies in your teen years. <laughs> okay. That is then they not a thing really that happens. Yeah, speak okay. to Okay. Mm. Anyway, okay. So it's awesome basically. It's That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. Read it. Good. Our next book is Museum. Of Modern Love by Heather Rose. It's a novel that reimagines Marina Abramowitz's famous performance art piece, The Artist is Present at MoMA in New York. Uh, she was the artist who sat in the atrium and invited people to look into her eyes. That famous performance becomes the context for another story exploring questions about the nature of art, life, and love. It won the Stella Prize in 2017. Natasha has been reading it. What do you think, Natasha? I think it is a very accomplished novel um, and that focusing it around Marina Abramowitz and this particular, you know, these three months in New York in 2010, you know, these real three months, this Mm. thing that happened and that was unexpectedly um, powerful and made this huge impact at the time. Um, I think that was a very good narrative device. I liked it. I think everyone in my book club liked it. Okay. I'm not sure I like all out loved it. Okay. So were you already interested in the art of Marina? How do you say her last Abramowitz. name, Natasha? Abramowitz? I, I think it's Abramowitz. I okay. Know, like I looked um, this up at some point. Or were um, you more interested in the Australian author behind it? This was one that I didn't pick. Okay. So it was picked, you know, by my book club and mm. I was like, okay, cool. Um, I didn't know anything about Marina Abramowitz except for – having a vague memory of the artist is present because I remembered a video that had been doing the rounds on social media where it was like, oh, okay, this artist, she's been sitting, you know, in this chair for mm. like all day for I think the the exhibition, the performance went for like 75 days. She sat in this chair and, you know, whoever sat opposite her, she'd just sit still and look into their eyes and they stay for as long as they like and leave whenever they want. Um, and 
the one that did the rounds was about how this man who was she was in a relationship for with for many years and mm. she hadn't seen in a long time I think or that was kind of the story came and sat down opposite her and so she you know she kind of sits with her like um, head down and her eyes closed until someone sits down and then she looks up and so it was this kind of you know mostly she's just kind of like looking at the person but with him it was this kind of you know she starts crying and he cries and they kind of reach across the table and hold hands and you know it's this like lovely moment of human connection so that was the story that I knew and I kind of thought the novel was going to be about that Mm. about that moment and so actually for the whole novel I was waiting for that to come come. well it turns out I hadn't realized that it actually happened like the first day of the exhibition so it had already it gets mentioned later in the book but it's as already having mm. happened and it's not at all the point, which I think also was sort of clever that it made it a bit more unexpected and mm. not kind of cliched. And this is the thing that I think I didn't love about the book is that technically it's told by essentially the muse, right? So it's told by a kind of it's, – it's like – an angel kind of thing, right? It's like every artist has their muse, this like kind of almost guardian spirit who's looking after them. And this muse is, you know, Marina's muse, but also Arky's and also, um, you know, like looks after all these other people. So that sort of worked, but I was a bit like, actually, I really feel like you could have taken us inside all these people's heads without doing the music. Yeah, a little bit, bit much and a little bit unnecessary. Uh, okay, so how central is the artwork, I mean her, her exhibition, to how the characters are responding to what's happening in their lives? I guess it's kind of a catalyst mm. for them. Um, all in, you know, quite different ways because, um, you know, sometimes like so these people tend to, and this I guess is an accurate depiction of what happened is that lots of people came back day after day after day um, and, you know, they were drawn to this thing which I don't think anyone expected it to be as successful as it was, mm. um, that, you know, it's really just a person sitting there and people would kind of, you know, sit in the chair and look back at them. But that actually, I mean, if you think about it, when do you ever sit and look into someone's eyes for a long time? Mm. And, you know, especially this, like a stranger and this woman who's kind of lived very intensely. So it kind of is this intense experience for lots of people who sit with her mm. um, and particularly for the characters whose heads we get into. Um, some of them sit with her and some of them don't, but they're all kind of like drawn to this idea. And I guess it's kind of a like a human connection thing. Often when people do sit with her, it becomes this site where, you know, people kind of are confronted with stuff inside them that's raw and that they wouldn't otherwise be willing to face or acknowledge or deal with. But that kind of connection with another human um, that's very public but also very private Mm. has this quite dramatic effect on them. Wow. I know that the author is studying fine art. So do you think it's a bit of a comment on you know, the importance of art in our everyday lives and to help us sort of understand what's happening? It has a lot to say about art. And I thought that was actually, that was all really interesting, partly because, um, you know, the artist is present is the only thing that I really knew about Marina Abramowitz. But um, the book goes into quite a bit of her, like, her life and her previous performance art, which, you know, her stuff has been called terms like endurance art and body art. And this one, the artist is present, 
seems very tame compared to the things that she did before. Like she's done some very shocking. I mean, extreme. We had to study performance art at uni, and there was you know people hanging themselves off hooks, meat hooks. Yeah, yeah, it can get quite extreme. Oh yeah, like there were ones that she did where. you know, she kind of put all these objects, like dozens of objects on a table. Some of them are things like honey or flowers and some of them are things like a whip or a gun with a bullet. Yes, and she let them and do anything to her. And she's like, you can do her. whatever you want to me yeah. for six hours. Like the public could, you know, like there was a loaded touch gun. her, hit her, push her. Like, yeah, and, you know, there's all these debates about like, is this art? Mm. You know, what is art? And But her kind of trying to push to extreme situations um, to be like, okay, what is it really to be human and what are we capable of? What are we really like when you strip back mm. the layers? And so I think, you know, the artist is present seems very tame by comparison. But even then, like the physicality of it, like and none of this had occurred to me that sitting in a chair very still for like seven hours a day she can't move. She doesn't get up and go to the bathroom. She like is incredibly stressful on the body. Oh like, yeah, it's I'm, bad for I'm your thinking straight away and... the pain that she yeah. must feel when she gets up. And she's like that, you know. She's like she can endure extreme levels of pain and like kind of push through it. And you know, like so it seems like a very simple, still thing. But the amount of kind of energy and discipline that she has to bring to that to make it work, and then to have this connection with humans are sitting who are sitting opposite her. Um, it's very was, disciplined, isn't it? Yeah. And it's, mm. you know, like there's a conversation that a couple of um, like unnamed characters have at one point, like overheard, uh, where one of them is like, you know, do you think she'll make it? You know, she said she'll do this for, I think it's 75 days. And the other one's like, oh, she'll definitely make it. But, you know, like even if it kills her, I think that wouldn't mm. perturb her. You know, mm. <laughs> like yeah, right. she's willing to take this to, you know, like Extreme whatever levels. it takes. Wow. Um, understanding how. Um, you know, I mean, at least according to the novelist, um, what's going on in Marina's head was really cool. And also, like, there was a lot about her relationship with this guy, Ule, who is the one who came and sat opposite her um, on the first day. It kind of goes back to think about their relationship and they did art together, like this, a lot of this crazy performance art together. Mm. Um, and it kind of traces that back and some of the psychology of that. And, you know, when they decided to break up, they did this kind of performance art thing where they walked from opposite ends of the Great Wall of China towards each other to meet in the middle and say goodbye. And it was, like, filmed and stuff. And so it was all of that was kind of really interesting and quite, you know. Makes you feel very normal and boring, doesn't it? I know, right? <laughs> this is what a great love looks like. Wow. And they, okay. did, and they didn't make it, like, yeah, <laughs> didn't but, work out. Gosh, so, mm. full on. Not sure if it's a book that I will be reading, Natasha, but <laughs> I'd like to learn all that by osmosis without necessarily having to read the book. <laughs> However, some books are worth reading more than once, right? There oh, are some yes. books that we love so much that we read them over and over throughout the course of our lives. Maybe you first read it as a teenager, you pick it up again in your 20s, suddenly you hit 40 and you're like, I need that book, I need it. <laughs> um, What's the book you've read over and over and over again? Oh, well, I mean, the one that springs to mind is like Harry Potter, right? Like I've read the Harry Potter books several times or even like Narnia, um, you know, those kind of classic series. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote about how how the reader who would never read something twice, Mm. that that person is getting the wrong thing from a book. 
Okay. That actually, you know, the person who's like, oh, I've read that, that's a reason never to have to read it again. It's like, you know, no, 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 you don't use up a book and then you're done. No, there's always more you can learn and experience. And Um, like I know some people that will never watch a movie twice because like, oh, there's always more movies to see. And I know what happened in it and you're like, well, that's not the point. That's not the point. (laughs) And I'm like, I would much rather watch a really good movie seven times than waste my time watching a bad movie. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's always more you can yeah, get out of a good movie. So I think the one that I actually come back to every two or three years, I'm like, oh, I haven't read this in a while. I need I need a shot of this, mm-hmm. um, is a book that no one's ever heard of called Stepping Heavenward. What is that? <laughs> it's, a, it's a novel. It's written like in the middle of the 19th century um, and by a woman called Elizabeth Prentice um, who is like a minister's wife and – um, it's written as the diary of this girl from when she's 16 until she's kind of in her 40s. Um, and it's not like a great work of literature or anything. But I think just in terms of what it says about like her life and her faith. So she's, you know, like when she's 16, she's a bit like, you know, she's like in a Christian family. It's like the 19th century. And her mum's this like wonderful, um, godly woman who just loves um, prayer and who everyone adores because she's so gracious and just so loving towards everyone. And Mm. whereas she's a very kind of willful, a little bit vain, um, you know, quite tempestuous uh, So this is like the Beth and the Joe of Little Women. <laughs> You've the got Little angelic, Women on the brain. <laughs> the angelic Beth and the tempestuous <laughs> Joe, right? But see, the mother is like, actually, I used to be just like you. Um, and so yeah. it's kind of her figuring out, do I really believe this? And then um, sort of the kind of ups and downs that she goes through in her life. And, you know, it's the middle of the 19th century. People die a lot. Mm. There's a lot of illness. There's a lot of, like, people dying at home um, and caring for, you know, them at home. Mm. And uh, so just this kind of intensity of life, um, but also just the boringness of everyday existence and figuring out how to be a person of faith in both of those things Mm. um so I think you know like when I read it for the first time I'd been a Christian for like mm, at least a decade Mm. um but I kind of say that this book taught me to love Jesus okay which is a different thing to just being like oh yeah I'm a Christian but like actually this is about relationship and personal affection for Jesus and so yes that is the book that I go back to every few years where I'm like oh I need to kind of reorient okay to be a bit more like Katie Mm. Wow, that's her name. Nice. Mm. How about you? What do you go back to again and again? Mm. I'm sure if my husband was going to answer this question, he'd say Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> and he'd be right. <laughs> because I have read that a lot. But the one I thought that I actually probably have read more consistently is Anne of Green Gables because mm. I read it as a teenager and I've reread it as an adult. And then I've read it to two of my kids separately um, and shared it. And I just love that they've loved it as well. Um, I just relate to so much in Anne of Green Gables. Like, I know it's kind of obvious because I'm a redhead, freckled-faced, <laughs> grew up in the small town and whatever. Um, oh, but it is for you. It's me. It's my life story. Except you're not an orphan. I'm and, not an orphan, okay. thankfully. Yes, although I did go off to boarding school, so it kind of felt oh, okay. like being an orphan. Sure. Uh-huh. Um it's timeless and it's so delightful and it's because it's all based around a beautiful character and you want her to have a win. You know, mm. she's had a really, mm. really tough life. Marilla doesn't want her. She wants to send her back because she's not a boy. <laughs> and uh, I just love seeing Anne get her happy ending. So 
Do you have strong feelings about the various adaptations, the film and Oh, I've refused to watch TV the TV show. series. Oh, really? Refused to. Wow. Absolutely. Uh, because That's strong. Well, because I talked to people who loved the book and they were very mm. unhappy with aspects of the TV series. And I thought, mm. why do it to myself? I just, I love the film. It's mm. perfect. I mean, the, you know, the original yep. one. Yeah. Um, why do I need to watch the new one? No, they just ruined it. That's okay. Okay. Yeah. It's very decisive. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> well, my read for this episode is a sort of modern thriller, really. Uh, it's called The Wife Between Us by Greer Hendricks and Sarah Pekkanen. Now, I have to say, Natasha, when I see two author names, yeah, alarm bells just go off. Really? I do. I kind of Why? think, oh, yeah, this is just a money-grabbing money venture, you know, to write a bestseller and you just kind of churn it out. So as in you mean one person had the idea and the other person ghost wrote it? Like what, what do you think no, when I it's two authors? I think it's like they're kind of going. You think two authors can't write together well? No. I, <laughs> I mean, no, not really. I just have a prejudice against it seem, makes it seem to me a business proposition rather than a work of passion. Oh, but I know that's not necessarily the case. But it is a prejudice I have. I think because James Patterson you know, has all those books, you know, James oh, Patterson right. with, and he oh, just right. he, he comes up with the idea and someone else Turns them oh, out. Does he? Okay, yeah. run it. Yeah. Um, mm. So I read this because I liked The Girl on the Train. Mm-hmm. This book kind of has a similar vibe, I guess, if you were going to compare it. Okay, I stuck with this book till the end. It, it's good, it's fairly good. But the thing that really annoyed me about this is that the authors trick you. So <laughs> what I mean is, you know, normally when there's a twist, we go along with the character who's deceived and then the character learns something and then that's kind of the reveal that we have. Mm-hmm. But in this case, it's not the character who's deceived, it's us. The author deliberately tricks us mm. by the way they write the book. So if this had been like an unreliable narrator, I probably wouldn't have minded it. But it was the Ooh. fact that they set it up deliberately to make you think something that wasn't the case. So do you mean that, like, there are no clues? Like, you couldn't possibly have guessed that? I mean, it's very deceptive the way that this book is structured. Mm. Deliberately, they're making you think something. Okay. And then revealing it. But it's not a journey we're going on with the character. It's not an unreliable narrator. The person who's tricking us is the author. But so maybe, you felt like, like you can't that trust really anything. Interesting. Like maybe it's an innovation. And the first, you know, the first time you ever read an unreliable narrator, you you feel similarly cheated. But then next time, it's kind of like, oh, I just felt that the author had lost my trust because I'm like, I know now that you're just trying to trick me. I mean, every time <laughs> you read a murder mystery, you know they're trying to trick you, yeah. right? But you're going along the journey with the character hmm. being deceived. So you're kind of just being led along with them, whereas in this it's like a direct author tricking reader. Why don't we have a um a spoiler alert moment and you tell us what it is? But <laughs> really, you want to do well, that? You know, people can like just skip thirty seconds ahead if okay. they don't want to know. All right, we need to count down. All okay. right, three, mm-hmm. two, one. So they've set the book up as if it is two characters. One is spying on the other. But it turns out it's the same person. One is past her and one is current her. Oh. Yeah. So that sounds really interesting. Uh, one with Vanessa and one is called Nellie. And then at oh. the very end of the first, you realise that Nellie is Vanessa before this stuff happened to her. Yeah. Mm. That sounds cool. I can really <laughs> read it now. And I. <laughs> now we've ruined the twist for everyone. <laughs> 
And I hated Girl on the Train, so, you know. <laughs> no way. I love Girl on the Train. Oh, it was so boring. The audiobook was so good. Well, I didn't listen to audiobooks, so maybe, you know, we had fundamentally different experiences. No, 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 because I read, I loved it so much that I did the book and the audiobook. Oh, right. <laughs> Yeah. This is good. This is good that we have different Yeah, tastes. that's right. Because then right. we can kind of represent yeah. different. Yes. Yes. All right. Okay. I'm sorry <laughs> I just spoiled that book for everyone. It's all right. You can come back now. You're safe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Why the title? The, the Wife Between Us? The what Wife does it mean? Between Us. Okay. So the setup is that um, the main character, Vanessa, is a jealous ex-wife. His, her husband has moved on with a younger, new newer model of her basically um, and that she is jealous and desperately wants him back. That's the sort of setup. Like even on the blurb of the book it says you will think you know all the players, you know, the jealous ex-wife, the the perfect new younger model, whatever, you will be wrong. So basically you read the book knowing it's not what you think mm-hmm. but then, of course, throughout the book there's a couple of twists as to what she really wants, what she's really trying to do and what the new wife is actually up to as well right Mm. you know that you know we didn't realize this at the time but totally without meaning to all of these books we've talked about today are about marriage really yeah they're like i mean heartburn is but actually museum of modern love is sort of about like you know jane's lost her husband and arky um you know there's something like his wife is not around and there's kind of some stuff going on in their marriage and um yeah. Okay, this and this is, is about, about a really unhealthy marriage. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they're all probably all about, like, fairly bad marriages, really. Well, about, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Learning from it. That's right. Relationships. How does and... it work? <laughs> well, there you go, Natasha. We've just done the marriage edition. Oh, great. <laughs> that was unintentional. <laughs> oh, dear. All right. Well, I hope you have enjoyed this special Mawage edition of the Hopeful Club. <laughs> we reviewed Heartburn by Nora Ephron, The Museum of Modern Love by Heather Rose, and The Wife Between Us by Gree Hendricks and Sarah Pekkanen. I'd uh, love to hear your thoughts and feedback. Email us, bookclub at hopemedia.com.au. And thanks again for listening to The Hope Book Club because life's just better with a book. Thanks for listening. Start your day with life words. Subscribe to Hope 1032's free daily email devotional at hope1032.com.au.